Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. All right, all right. We are back in full effect in the Detroit Is Different podcast studios. And this is Kari Frazier. And I'm here with one of my OGs and friend. I ain't seen him in a minute. Comrade, good brother Ishmael. How you feeling, my brother? Bro, I'm glad to be alive, man. Glad to be above God's earth, bro. Yeah, man. I've been trying to get you in full effect for a minute now, man. Yeah, yeah, our schedules was, you know, bouncing up. We play a little tag, but we good. It is, know? it is, man. It is what it is. So uh, we're going to get into the usual Detroit is Different story, and then I want you to talk about some of the projects you're working on, okay. and I want you to talk a little bit about your past in Detroit hip-hop uh, okay. and your ties to it. Because okay. arts, music, hip-hop culture, breaking, that's you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so we're going to open up with your family in Detroit Ties. Uh, yeah. What was uh, the first group set of your family? Was your mom born in Detroit? Was your grandparents born in Detroit? Who was the first people that made their way to Detroit? Well, both of my parents are from Huntsville, Alabama. Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah, and um, uh, they met uh, in Alabama, and uh, my dad took the uh, plunge into the whole job market of uh, the auto industry or what, what other... Uh, opportunities were available here and okay you know shot itself right over there in southwest detroit okay about what time did they uh move up this way i'm looking at maybe 1940 or late late 40s or early 50s wow okay 40s or early 50s okay and huntsville huntsville alabama whereabouts is that huntsville is nasa's capital that's one of the uh, places where nasa is located um, it's the capital of Alabama's Birmingham. So Huntsville is sort of like Highland Park and Hamtramck to Birmingham. Okay. Know? All right. So, uh, you been down there? Many times, bro. Like, What's it like? Um, it's country, uh, uh, a lot of acres, land. Um, my grandmother lived to be 105, uh, and she Man. lived on a, uh, nice bit of acre, had an old tin house. I don't know if too many Detroit have seen these type of houses, but it's like a shed. It's mm-hmm. It was tin. She had an outhouse. That was my first uh, traumatic experience of having to use the outhouse at a young age at night. Uh-huh. Um, but it was very, like, uh, therapeutic, you know, for, for me as a young man coming from Detroit, from the city life, going down there, walking up the road, mm-hmm. you know. My cousin actually was a little bit more... Um, I would say progressive as a uh, southern, uh, you know, as a southern uh, house. House his was uh, like actually better than some houses in Detroit. Uh-huh. Actually, it was better than my house in Detroit. You know, air conditioning, made from the ground up. You know, big rooms. So like the Brady's house, it reminded me of the Brady's house. The, the style of it. Okay. But yeah, so it was a, it was an interesting um, trip for like maybe fifteen to twenty years straight. You know. And and you talk about the ten houses, and I've seen some ten houses. Yeah, uh, as like I've seen the shotgun houses, just like some of those original designs. Actually, behind this house right here, so I don't know if yeah. people recognize it. Like it's a small house, as people say, it's a little house behind your house. It's a small house that was built for my great grandmother. Whoa! And it's a shed that was yeah. built 
by my great uncles. So her Whoa. sons. And they built the shotgun house. So they built the house on center blocks off the ground. Yes. And that's kind of like in the style of the shotgun yeah. house. Oh, shotgun house. Mm-hmm. That's the what tin the tin house is. You know, the tin house is like obviously the material too, and everything. Yeah, yeah, that's but, exactly uh, what I meant. By but the the roofing for I think a tin house is like different, and even you know plumbing. That that's the thing about the house behind us. But you you say outhouse and outhouse is, as they say, you know them snakes. Traumatic, bro. Just the thought of what could get shoot up at me. Mm-hmm. But when you gotta go, you gotta go. Mm-hmm. So. I think it built a lot of character with me, you know. Mm-hmm. At the time, tr- trauma sometimes uh, is just that what it is. But if you make it through things like that, they build some sort of character. They give you some sort of uh, edge of, of dealing with uh, things that are hard to deal with, like survival technique, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it made me understand uh, having a commode at flush compared to not having a commode at flush that's outside to where hardship, you know, when it came, into, I guess it would come to me, I would, I sort of like I could reflect back to that and, you know, toughen up, you know. So, so from that, Southwest Detroit. And it's a couple people from that Southwest neighborhood that came up around that 60s, 70s, 80s time. It was a different culture over there, even to this day, for the black families in southwest detroit because when most people think southwest detroit a lot of people think the the chicano culture that's over there but it's also a very strong close-knit history of black entrepreneurship families uh a lot of people like kevin hansen yes sir uh a lot of people really probably shout out uh Big Meech, as you know, Demetrius. Yes. Uh, a lot of people shout out uh, Monica Conyers. Yes. And there's many families just from over there, like that down river, close to River Rouge. Yes. What was it like growing up over there? Uh, bro, I, I, I look at it today as a blessing uh, because of the close-knit community and all the experiences that we had. It wasn't, you know, saturated with a lot of um, – uh, people trying to keep up with the Joneses. Of course, you had factions of people who tried, and even in that small community. But on a whole scale, I played little league baseball, played with Anderson Hunt, I played with Antoine Dobear, played with uh, Bernard Anderson, guys that went on to play big league baseball. You know, in the mm-hmm. major leagues, um, uh, got to play um, basketball. You know, I was at Southwestern High School with uh, Perry Watson, close in a great basketball team. So the culture out there gave me an opportunity to, to grow and, and, and enjoy um, what a kid should be able to enjoy, playing baseball, going to the park, community center, and, and those things without a lot of worrying about, you know, gangs and fighting and drugs. We really didn't have any of that over there. We didn't have, you know, any fights. We had everybody in the whole community knew it was a fight. Like they actually knew and somehow the parents were going to talk it out or they were going to scrap it out. But it was just a way that I grew up that I look up to now and say, I think I thank God for having an opportunity to be in a position to be around Latinos, whites, because um, when they started busting in the area, they busted to Jeffrey's Elementary, which was right there in the area called Southwest Detroit. We called the hole, which was actually where Big Meach and Terry, where Demetrius and Terry grew up at, which was like the back back end of 
where the dump site was because Southwest Detroit actually was that. It was meant to be part of the last spots of the city of Detroit to dump all the waste it was a, it was a all for dumping and so actually the the owners of the plants kind of took it upon themselves to like smooth it out somewhat just to make room for them to get some workers to come and live over there my father's house i think he got it for fasting a plot and i got pictures of it like you know when it was dirt but it was built up on a uh, dump site basically and that's why if you go out there now you definitely gonna gag um it still smells now you you talk about this history uh and i want you to touch on that because it's definitely been environmental issues with that community for a long time and you mm-hmm. grew up over there but yeah that black community that was over there like kevin talks about the doctors the dentists like it still having so much of almost like a the feel that when people think of a segregated or a paradise valley or something like that like w- did you know your dentist did you know your doctor like was it at that close-knit yeah and it was uh, so much of a, an, um, an acknowledgement for me to have that I did not, um, you know, absorb it as being, you know, anything abnormal, uh, abnormal or, you know, immaculate or in some way. Um, actually, uh, Dr. Carson, Ben Carson lived across, his house was across the street from the house that I live in, that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Didn't know he went to Southwestern. Mm-hmm. Um, so... It was more so, I guess, the way it was set up for people to actually thrive led them to have a little bit more, I would say, um, inspiration to do better because of the downtrodden um, way Southwest was portrayed around the world. Like it was, you know, a lot of people did know that Southwest Detroit was um, a dump site that smelled. or So it was a lot of people who really, like, uh, got their really fight the the fighting spirit to go on and i think that's where a lot of the winning and winning attitudes and a lot of the um very like strong strong-minded people um became successful you know as as myself i feel as though southwest detroit made me who i am because it gives you it gave you a different edge without a lot of you know you didn't have a lot of things that um sort of like took your attention away from going to school uh being good at some sport over there um like a good old, t- it's like a black good, you know, one of those good old towns in America they talk about. But mm-hmm. this one happened to be a black town. So, um, did you start noticing the differences in other parts of the city of Detroit as you started traveling out? Oh yeah, yeah, and immediately. My first uh, incident, I guess, the East Side I, um, was well, the most memorable one was I went to the East Side and I was with uh, my wife at the time, and uh, it was. Actually, some gunshots going on on the street when we got there. And I'm I'm in her house. I'm dropping on the ground. I'm, she looks at me. She said, oh, she looks out the window. I was just like, oh, that's Rico and them, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, what? I was like, that don't happen where I come from. I've never heard a gun go off anywhere in my whole area of Southwest Detroit growing up in all 18 to 19 years living there. Mm-hmm. Never. So I seen... Um, I seen a way the East Side was compared to that. Like, I didn't feel a community. I didn't see. I didn't feel a sense of community. Mm-hmm. I felt like you know a lot of people sort of like um, you know going through hard times or 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 not maybe going through hard times, but displaying a very aggressive like nature mm-hmm. towards each other. 
and that was the that was the east side so that was my first experience of seeing something different other than seeing something different when it comes to like white neighborhoods like the gross points um i had a couple of girlfriends come from gross point you know white girls come visit us and take us and they got bowling alleys in the basement and they living outside of a river we go outside in their backyard it's the river whatever river that is (laughs) they got boats in their backyard so i knew that southwest was different from a lot of the other neighborhoods and what what i really realized that southwest was leaving going towards south so mm-hmm. I started thinking about it like that. Like, okay, maybe this was, you know, cl- close to Toledo, and then Toledo, Ohio. So maybe this was almost not Detroit. You know, like Toledo was, um, you know, was almost Detroit, but not really Detroit. What were some of the places you guys would, like, hang out at that, you know, were you guys further down River and River Rouge? Was it an arcade? Was it a roller rink? Right there on Schaefer, still there today. Um, roller cage skating rink, still there today. Got a Facebook page. People still go skate there after like maybe 50. They just did a 50-year anniversary. Mm. Uh, we had a place called Kimney Center, which was right next to that big marathon baseball. If anybody on 75 see the baseball, actually it's a piston basketball too. Um, that's right. The park is right there. Uh, had three baseball fields. Um, mm. Real, really, really kept up baseball fields. Um, we, that was it. Kimney Center and a skating rink. And, of course, Equus and River Rudge was actually a joint. It's, like, to me, the same neighborhood. We would go to a, a skating rink over there um, and a, another another uh, basketball court in uh, River Rudge. But um, mostly um, just parks, outside activity, bro, like outside activity, like stuff that I still think to this day is the best way to, like, you know, grow into, like, understanding how to, like, you know, enjoy life you know playing outside and you you said uh the skating rink 50 years that's something it may be even older than that it's the color roller case skating rink it's amazing it's amazing that it's still there the family is a family-owned uh skating rink um they do a lot of good things in the community now i've been noticing when i go out there they have like uh days where they um feed the uh, community uh skates for kids um, a lot of things that um, show me that that part of the community is a staple because it's still there and it's actually doing something now in 2020. You know, if I went out there now, I'm pretty sure I can ask them, what are you guys doing? And they'll have an agenda. So, All right. So while your father was working in the plant, what was your mom doing? Mom was a stay-at-home mom. Mm. My mom's a uh, beautiful woman. Uh, she's 93. She's still alive. Um, she uh, has a twin that she talks to every day. She has a brother who's turning 105, I think, next week. They all talk every day. They've been talking every day for the last, I guess, 70 or 80 years. Wow. Um, so she was a stay-at-home mom, uh, a church, a church-going woman. Like that was her. That's her world. She stayed in the church. What church? Uh, church was called the Lamb of God in uh, River Ridge on Palmer, on Palmerster. And um, that was that was it. That was her life. She stayed in the church every Sunday. Of course, that meant that I was uh, in church every Sunday and in the choir, mm-hmm. choir practice, and all the other stuff. Bible school, all of that. That was that was part of my life because of uh, her dedication to uh, her belief. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, as we get into that, you talked about roller rink culture, which is connected a little bit to the hip hop culture. When did you start connecting with hip-hop? Okay, so 
about in about fifth grade, I um got to watch an episode of maybe I don't know if it was the fifth, maybe it was a little bit later, an episode of What's Happening. Mm-hmm. And um Shabadoo and the Hollywood Swingers mm. were like special guests on the show. Mm-hmm. And they were doing something called locking. But before then I would every now and then see a couple of people doing this particular type of dance on Soul Train. And it caught my attention because as a young kid, my brothers had all the music of Motown. They you know, I got three brothers and they all bought records. Their whole thing was competition of records. It used to be fights. They had fights over albums, like beautiful albums. <laughs> albums that to this day that changed how my love of music is because I got to hear all this stuff. So they used to, you know, motivate me to dance. My brother used to put on James Brown. He actually called me a week ago and said, I was looking at somebody. He said, man, you know, you used to dance your butt off. He said, you used to call you. He called me Mr. Bojangles. And I didn't know who that was, but that was what Sammy Davis was called. So he motivated me a lot. And mm-hmm. what I did was take that and I really got involved with loving the, the whole idea of dancing, you know, and taking over a floor or getting you know, getting that feeling of just jamming what they say. So I watched the locking, and the locking went on to uh, the next level of uh, what we call dancing, funketeering, and then uh, pop locking. And then all while these things were going on, luckily there was a music being bred, like, you know, in the basements of New York or from Jamaica to New York, from from uh, jam maps, from, you know, from um, African Bambada and, his groups that were starting to rap and mm-hmm. and so it tied into the dance immediately like it was part of it you know that's the subcultures graffiti dance hip-hop you know all those things became one as a hip-hop culture so that connected me to the beats differently because before i'm listening to the doom doom ka doom doom ka you know then it turned to doom doom ka doom doom ka so i'm like oh okay so the dance has changed. The dance has got more uh, physical and more, more, um, I would say, aggressive. Like, you know, um, I, I, I learned the story of uh, the pop, the whole dance itself came from, um, you, 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 ever, you, you know how as a kid, uh, guys used to like act like they're going to hit you and like jerk their body like, uh. Uh-huh. That actually became a form of what they call popping. I learned this. You can look it up uh, in prison. Guys just do that, you know, to the point where they start moving with it. You know, like mm-hmm. they start dancing. I was like, oh, so that culture sort of totally magnified me um, to where I felt as though this was something ours, totally ours. That, you know. That so so you were already just dancing like, I guess, just in the in the spirit of black dance, like like party dance or I don't know what James Brown was. James Brown was talented, but Splits. I don't even know, like, I guess like party dance, soul dance, but that started tr- to transition when you saw it. And that episode that you were talking about, rest in peace, uh, John Witherspoon, Detroit. But, uh, that was the disco dynamite episode of what's happening. That's when, uh, rerunning them, get into the dance contest and drop the radio. Exactly. <laughs> drop the tape player. All right. So for anybody that watch what's happening, we just connected. You need to watch what's happening. Get up on your classic. What's happening. Yeah. So, um, Shabadoo. Yes. Uh, one of, one of the, you know, many people know him from 
from breaking, but mm-hmm. also the Wiz, also really uh I would say Soul Train, like, you know, the choreography connected yes. to that. But as you say, more physical and a hip hop spirit with it. Yes. And and you're like almost like picking this up. You're like really one of those kids that says, like, I will watch Soul Train, see what they do, put my spin on it. Yes. Yes. That's, and then go to the party. Yes. That's that's the beauty of our culture, I believe, that um, through all the hard times and all the, you know, trauma and things that go on in our families and our life, you will hear some music. And that spirit is actually the time when we're rejoicing. So as a kid, I took that as the time of, you know, pride. Like, you know, this is how we can show how bad we is, you know. I didn't have a basketball, I didn't have a sport, so I was like, this we can show how we move, how we get down and make people look at us and say, how did body do that? You know, how they do that? So I knew young that, you know, at that time when I heard music, that this was special. You know, this was for us. This was something that helps us to get through, you know, the days of hard time and, you know, seeing older people party around my house, you know, you know, like you look at that old picture that's on Good Times, that picture where I don't know who the artist was, but he's painting and they're dancing. You can see their body shapes and forms you look at that and said that's an expression of our way of you know enjoying ourselves through you know the struggles of uh, urban life and as you talk about that uh this is deep this is deep the the layers even that when we think about that interpretation taking it into a whole new medium because hip-hop at first was hard to find it was almost like searching for (laughs) And I mean, you, you, you had a tougher time than me because I'm, I, I'm yeah. younger than you, and I remember what it was like to like wait on a rap song. But in your generation, you probably had to almost like it was like being in a cult or something, like a secret society to try to find something. It was. It was. Detroit is different, and, and I love your show for that because we started hearing what we thought uh, we could. Uh, Put to put to put hip hop into, because we were hearing it coming from foreign foreign places. You know, uh-huh. maybe uh, one or two DJs might play something, or we were getting it, but it was like like you said, it was like a, a covert um, operation. You know, and mm-hmm. so uh, the biggest experience, I guess, was doing the Motor City Break, which was a really big thing done at the um, the uh, the club on Woodward. Now it used to be called the um, on Woodward? Yeah, it was it was a, the the state it used to be called a state the state hall the state club right there on Woodward. Now it's the Fox, mm-hmm. but it used to be a place where they did shows. Um, Run DMC uh, opened up for the Motor City Break, which was which was the biggest breakdance competition in Detroit. Wow! And uh, kids came from Canton, Michigan. White kids, Mexican kids, Latino kids. This is the first time where I experienced what I had been seeing, bits and pieces of, of what New York was doing. So this is after Beach Street. Because Beach Street, I think, put hip-hop on the map on a national level yes. to a lot of people. Yes. it was Matter of fact, it was probably during the same time as Beach Street. But you know how Detroit... Our, our culture was mostly soul music and um, you know, Motown and legacy of blues and really good music. And hip-hop wasn't getting a fair shake here, mm-hmm. radio-wise. I mean, even Electric Fire Mojo uh, probably was l- less planned 
anything close to hip hop if it wasn't really, 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 really big, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, so getting it was, I still to this day say it was divinity, like how I ended up meeting, um, you know, hip hop and brought it into my life because it was not something that was very available for us in Detroit, the way it should, you know, where it was in New York. So um, I think we did the Motor City break and um, I remember Russell and um, then they came and they actually threw, they threw 25 groups out of one of the dressing rooms there because we had the biggest one because we had 25 groups and they gave them a, <laughs> they gave them a little room somewhere and I never forgot him coming in there cussing out the director and throwing us out and I just looked at him and I said to myself god he was a jerk and then he dissed the only rap group of Detroit at that time they made a song called flamethrower rap mm -hmm. uh Felix and Jarvis mm. uh <laughs> And he said, now that y'all heard that shit is over, he said, now it's time for the real rap. That's how he introduced himself after they came off. So I was like, man, Run Detroit. say that or did Rush say that? Run say that. Run ah. say that. And uh, he said, here's the real hip hop then. Boom, 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 boom. Money is the key to it. was over. I was like, you could have talked about everybody. You could have talked about everybody mama in Detroit. And when, yeah, when that came on, we'd have been like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, but um, I was Felix, and it was like, "Hey, yo, I ain't never rocking with Run yeah. DMC." <laughs> yeah, well, you, if you go, if you guys go back and look for Felix and Jarvis, they looked at like they looked at like Ready for the World, but they were rappers. They had Jerry curls. <laughs> but that, but yo, it was a lot of cats like that. It, it really, even as we talking about like Melly Mel and them, at, yeah, true. In, um, in B Street. True. Because, like, I, the only premise you had really was the funk guys. Because, like, yeah. when you look at that, and I love B Street. Yeah, me too. I'm younger, so I like Crush Groove more. So older people yeah. look at me like I'm crazy. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> Crush Groove was kind of on the wax app. But, see, like I said, I get like you. I, said, I get you. <laughs> <laughs> B Street was as thorough as um, uh, when they did Scared Straight. It was like literally on the streets. Hardcore concrete dudes breaking on their, you know, wasn't no special effects. They wasn't trying to glitter it up, you know. Crush Groove had got a little Hollywood. See, I guess. <laughs> Beat Street was raw, bro. Like raw to, it was, you know, one of those real documentary style movies. So you know? after, as this is growing and you can do it. Were you still doing like all the other dances, or were you just at the regular parties and it's just like popping, locking, and breaking? What, what? How did you approach going to parties at the time? I was in uh, one of the biggest uh, dance groups in the city of Detroit. What was the name? Uh, the Executioners. Mm. We danced against like a, a, a major group called the Funketeers. We opened up for Dirty Mind Experience, which was a a group. Now this is me. I got I got recruited. At a very young age, I was like in middle school, in high school, grown as men. Well, they was grown to me, came and sought me out because of my name was being spit around like, it's this little boy on Deacon Dirty Street. He good. And so mm -hmm. a group called the Motor City Jammers came and recruited me. And I was in the I was going to the fifth grade. Wow. And my mother used to be like, what the, what, what they want with you? And they used to be telling her, look, your son is dynamic and blah, blah, blah. So I was, you know, brought into uh, some of the best dancers in Southwest Detroit, a guy named Scooby-Doo who actually danced with Shabadoo, wow. um, who went to L.A., came back, and he did the wave. He came back, and he did the wave, and I swear I went home and said I'll never dance again because I said, I tried to explain it. I said, my, 
I was like, this guy made his arm look like water went through one end and then it went through his leg. And I'm like, I don't know if I ever be able to do that. I was just hurt. <laughs> like this was amazing so you know times has changed now people see it and they think it's always no big deal but learning that and seeing that in the uh early 80s it was mind-blowing you know and michael jackson had had got uh credit for doing the moonwalk when actually i seen this guy do that before michael okay because you know all right now, now we're getting into a discussion because they say like mickey free and some of them other guys on soul train did it first yeah but he was the guy to do it first it's you know again you know Hollywood and being opportunist. I mean I won't take nothing away from Michael because he was a legend. He was great, um, and he learned how to do it. And he had some shoes on that made it really easier for him too. And then I, I remember I remember Motown twenty five. He killed it. And I mean like the way he hit his tippy toes <laughs> and then just like slid. It was like damn. It was like, yeah, yeah. I was a kid. We was watching it in, uh, <laughs> like, you know, like ghetto, ghetto, uh, ghetto memories. I'm upstairs. My mom's like, "Yeah, we gonna watch this." And I'm thinking, like, "All right, we can watch some old school stuff." And like, you know, Diana Ross and Marvin Gaye. Yes. And then Michael hit with that Billy Jean. And I'm, I'm, my mom used to make me, uh, you know, the the Fago float where you got vanilla ice cream. Oh. And, and uh, red pop. <laughs> I spilled, I spilled the Fago float on me because I was like, I ain't never seen no <laughs> shit like, like this. this. Right. <laughs> right. A, a, a culture of inventions that, again, we should take a lot of credit for um, keeping this country, you know, innovative, you know, not mm -hmm. just from machineries and tools, but from art. You know, and creativity. That, yeah, that was that was amazing to me. And I, the guy who showed me the wave actually did the float too. And it, literally, he almost retired me from dancing because I went home, and I'm gonna be honest with you, I was crying when I seen him do the moonwalk. And I got home and had no idea how, how to logically put that in my mind, like he was going backwards but going forward, because he would act like he would go forward and he would be able to do it and he'd be going backwards. So he was almost hitting it as good, if not oh, better. Oh, he, killed, than he killed. No, he killed. And, and bro, how about this? He's doing it on concrete. And what these shoes would call, they were called uh, Bruce Lee shoes. They were karate shoes. The karate kicks. The karate, you know, the little. Yeah. 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 And so it was, a, you know, it was an interesting life of, of, of dance for me because that right there, like I say, was something I, I went home and I trained in my basement. So like, you know. I'm, you know, sad that we're not, we don't have Kobe here, but I, I love Kobe so much because I think about how I was determined to be the best at dancing. That I stayed in my basement almost two or three months trying to figure that dance move out. Wasn't no Google, wasn't none I could go and figure out. See, I just had On to YouTube. Keep, yeah. I had to keep looking at myself in the mirror and say, "How his feet do this? How I do that? How I do that?" By the time I got it, bro, I swear it was like a light came over the house, like, oh. Uh -huh. And I feel like, oh my God, I ran outside and I just, every five seconds in a dance contest, I just start doing the float. I mean, doing the slide and I win. All right. So, <laughs> so now as you're talking about this whole thing and then just capturing the vibe of it, um, breaking just itself is getting known and more known, but it's still like at the regular party, like as you talk about, ready for the world, um, you know, hip hop. Is still like kind of entering it, entering the stream of consciousness, but like maybe New Jack, because I'm thinking this is like mid 80s, yes. late 80s. Yeah, when mid were you having the time to, to, to break at the party? When, when did the time for breaking break out? 
Well, if if you um started breaking at a party, you may wind up um getting into a lot of fights. For real? So breaking had to be it was like you had to find a group of young men or women that were into it and get to the side. You guys had to practice on your own time and you had to actually go and like take over a party with two or three people doing a simultaneous move and then the floor would clear out. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how it worked. You had to group yourself first. Uh, so that's that became special too because some of the best people got connected and then it became groups. Like where I came from in Southwest Detroit, we had literally had six or seven groups. We had some of the best talent shows ever you would ever see. I mean, I'm a, I'm gonna say it this way, I'll brag. You can look at my high school yearbook. I won Best Dancer. And I actually won four years in a row, won first place at one of the biggest talent shows in Southwest Detroit, which covered Ecorse, Ridge, and Southwest. So we had groups. Mm-hmm. It was at least 20 groups of young men and women that danced. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of them went go on to be on the American Dance Stand, American Bandstand on this, it was a dance contest on there. So it was really serious there. and. Actually, now this is kind of funny. And any any style of dance? It was mostly pop locking. Okay, okay. Mostly well, pop most locking. Pop locking. Most, mostly I, pop locking. Because I remember like talent show dance. It seemed like for about twenty five years, somebody would come up with uh, moments in love and like do some type of like uh, chair modern dance. Yeah, you was stripper esque uh, routine. <laughs> yeah, you 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 would you would not. First of all, you probably wouldn't have made the talent show and where we came from because okay. uh, our talent shows. Say, for instance, Anita Baker's from Southwest Detroit. She's from Chapter 7, Chapter 8, a group that mm-hmm. was out there. Yeah. We beat her. We won. Wow. She sung. Wow. She sung her ass off. I bet she did. Should have won. But when we hit that stage and we did, we did. You know how black folks is. <laughs> Them little motherfucker. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I still remember that at that school. And then I started thinking about her career as she got bigger. And I, I, I tried to, you know, bring that up like it was a big deal. But I remember I was like, oh, she was in the show with us and she lost. Damn. Ain't that something? Ain't that something? So the dancing culture was that serious in Southwest Detroit where Anita Baker. And there's another group out there, Chapter 8, Anita Baker, her. And, oh, actually, what's his name came and performed at one of our talent shows and didn't win? Uh, Ghostbuster guy. Oh, oh, Ray Parker Jr.? Yeah. His, uh, his, Huey Lewis in the news. Yeah. <laughs> no, Ray Parker and the uh, Ray Parker and, and I don't know what the name of their band was, but yeah. they didn't win. But yeah, Ray Parker Jr. He was on tour with with Stevie Wonder, so yeah. he was hit. Well, yeah, he went to Northwestern High School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Northwestern had a musical school, so you know. Yeah. Detroit is musical. Yeah, yeah. And, and Foolish got a classic joke about Ray Parker Jr. <laughs> really? <laughs> just, uh, that ain't right. Time I think about it, it's just <laughs> Foolish is ignorant. That's not right. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so. This is all going on, and and as you as you grow, when do you start teaching other people? When do you become like an OG in this game? I was OG at a very young age because, like I said, I was recruited by the older groups in the city, and so by the time the scene and all the new dance shows, you know, all that stuff was going on, I had to go around and recruit. Mm. Um, and so most of the time, I recruited younger people or people who are my age that I had to teach how to dance, taught them the routines. I mean, I made up almost every routine I ever was a part of, which I would say I would made up 20, 30 routines 
as a 15 to 16, 17 year old, you know, for these contests, you know, I mean, when I went into routine making, I went into the whole, you know, like Jabberwockies, what they do now. Mm-hmm. I was doing that then, just making up concepts of making bodies do things, heads do things, and whole groups synchronizing and all that. So I became a teacher, you know, as I was a, not a student, but a, a growing dancer growing into my age. As well. So you yes. were choreography. Yes. You were choreographing it, and yeah. you were still like yes. a main talent in the show as well. Yes. Yes. So you was like Michael Jackson, Beyonce. So you was yeah. doing your thing and then looking at somebody like James Brown, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you messing up. <laughs> yeah. 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 Literally, literally, I lost a lot of friends and gained some friends because a lot of times they'd be like <laughs> mad at me and, you know, you you make, why well, I want to go to practice. We, you know, we ain't got to do this. I'm like, well, you ain't got to be in the group. Mm. You know, it, it sounded like no big deal. And then to, the talent show happened and then all the girls in the whole school going crazy for us. And he's standing there looking like, damn. Should have been in the group. I should have been in the group. Yeah. And then next time he'd be like, I want to be in the group. I'd be like, Well, you gonna listen? Mm-hmm. So I was kind of hard, but I really did it out of love because I wanted to be the best, you know. So So over time, and you've told me these stories before because I know you, uh, where are some places that some of the people you taught went on to take dance? Wow. Well, um, one of the guys um ended up uh at Watts. <laughs> Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Watts, one of the Watts uh, Club most Mozambique, known, <laughs> the most known uh, male entertainment clubs right off Finkel, Finkel Ave. Uh, further down than where I do my thing at the Andy, but many people know about Watts. Yeah. Um. And one of the guys went on to dance, and um, I'm, I'm trying to think of his name now. It's not coming to me, but it's gonna come to me. I think they called him um, was it Scooby Doo or Pop? pop along anyway he he went on to dance and um uh some videos um actually dancing as a girl came out uh named tiffany mm-hmm. uh, a white girl made a song really yeah. A pop yeah and if you watch the video it's a guy in a yellow suit mm-hmm. pop locking mm-hmm. he was one of the dancers that i grew up you know we danced with in detroit i can't think of his name right now but you know i think all of us at one point realized that the gift that we had was transcending to becoming like mainstream it was becoming very mainstream especially around like the 80s 90s and me and my homeboy sterling you know my homie sterling, yeah we was even talking about this the other day it was like a, a stance in hip-hop as much as like new jack swing was popular in late yeah, yeah, 80s yeah. early 90s yeah it was also this thing called hip house yeah. So like you know, and a lot of hip hoppers yeah. hated that shit. Yeah. But like like pump up the jam. Yeah, I was pump just about to up, say pump it, yeah. and then like you know everybody. Um, yeah, yeah. Get yeah. on up and dance. Yeah. yeah. But hip every hip house, <laughs> and then some are really that dangerous. Michael Jackson album has some elements of hip house yep. on it. Yeah. And every hip house album had uh, like somebody popping and locking, like Paul yeah. Abdul. Yeah. Uh, CSC yeah. Music Factory. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Snap. Like it yeah. was like. Yeah, uh, some of like the biggest songs in the nation yeah. was in that trend. In every video, you see yeah. somebody. And of course, I was a hater at that point because I said, "Damn, they've they wow compromised." I was your first but, stand up still like but they compromised. The we didn't culture. have we didn't have agents in Detroit. Uh-huh. We didn't have Hollywood studios. Yeah, that's why my friend that went to California ended up in the videos. And and even to this day, as um, it's a uh, it's still a that that dude, the young dude, Shiggy. Uh, that came up with I forget what dance I want to say the Millie Wop or something as they're saying but 
the 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 licensing on dance and mm. choreography mm. is so much different than any other form of artistry because I make a song, it's like, all right, this is my song. You can listen to it. Right. I make a movie, you know, I write a play, I, I write a book, but I do a dance move. It ain't even like comedy. You could be like, well, I, I kind of was doing the Millie Wop in the shower too, uh, three years. You know what I'm saying? Like, how yeah. do you license a dance move? Yeah. Like, how do you get rights for it and ownership? You 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 have to find, I guess, the way I hate to say this, the way corporate America and the way capitalism is. You have to figure out a person who's able to think of some sort of technicality involving the steps, the counts of the steps of the move. Because other than that, it's so spiritual. Yeah. That's like someone coming to me and say, you got, you know, you know how in church they say people get happy, get the Holy Ghost or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're dancing, you know. And so all of a sudden it becomes a dance move and, you know, somebody else says, well, I made up this dance. Well, no, mm-hmm. you didn't. Because I still I argue to this day that there's no new dancing. There's mm-hmm. no new dance. It's just all been like recycled. Mm-hmm. The only dance I truly think is really, really new. It's pop locking and the wave and all that. Cause I look at the uh, Williams brothers. Mm-hmm. I look at all these old dancers, Sammy. Day, I look at all the moves, and I can see some of the body movements in it. But I don't think none of these dances was like hip hop pop locking or whatever. Because the anger and the struggle and the music of hip hop, the whole rapping thing, gave it a different like texture. Mm-hmm. You know, it changed the texture of it. So everything else, I mean. You, you know, we doing dances now. They calling this, this, and that. You look at the Charleston. You look at the steps, and you look. It, it's been done before. Mm-hmm. Then you look at African dance. You can basically see every form of dance that we've done in it. I mean, twerking is not twerking. Mm-hmm. African dance is that's African dance. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I really think that that is impossible to like patent a dance step. But you know, in corporate and capitalism. You know, people find ways of doing it. Like I didn't even know. You probably telling me something I didn't know. I didn't know his dance. I don't. I didn't know if I did a dance and tried to uh, say his mind that I can get sued for it. And, and it's it, because the the fight is uh, this real popular game. I don't know if you're familiar. Uh, the 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 game everybody plays. Man, I'm uh, how am I? Um, uh, the, all the kids play it. And like the characters, as much as it's like a mix of like every type of video game, it's like a little bit of role playing, a little bit of shooting game. Um, Grand Grand Auto. It's not. It's not World World of Warcraft, man. It's not Grand Auto Theft. No, no, no. But the characters can do dances. What? Yeah, the the, the main characters. Uh, wow. It can do different dances, and you can like you pay because now the, the gaming experience is like you pay to have your character do different things. Whoa. And like some of what you can play, pay them to do. Wow. Is uh is dance? Wow! So like you're playing with other characters. Um, wow! You know, so uh, if they do a dance step, you want to buy that dance step. Yep. Wow. Yep. And so somebody actually getting paid for yeah choreographing the animation. Yeah. That's wow. So it's almost like if you took it from wow. From this, and then you put it into that, man. Mm. And this is killing me that it's not because it's not World of Warcraft. Oh man, I'm such a I'm such an old dude. I'm forgetting, but it's like the most famous famous video game right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to look that up because it's actually again one of those things that let me realize that how culture I, has transcended. Yeah, how how, rather, how 
video game dance Capital, I mean, than actually go out and dance dance. Yeah, and you can actually get money for doing something that I wish I would have had people around me that inspired me to use it as a form of you know economic gain because mm-hmm. I would have been great at it. I would have been getting money, but I, I mean, I looked at dance. It was like expression. It was fun, expression. Yeah. So as we get into expression and other things for fun, we really fast forward it now to what you your project of today. Real creative, and I'm going to definitely bring you back and we can talk more family and a lot of other stuff, but what's the project you're working on today? Um, I have um, been involved with the um, uh, uh, invention. It's a clothing invention because um, uh, maybe about in 95, 96, I was working with the Zod, my wife at the time. We were doing um, burlap backpacks, making clothing out of burlap. And this was something she got into because she was trying to have stuff to carry uh, my daughter's stuff around. And um, uh, we got really uh, a following and got people interested in buying the burlap backpacks. We're, we, we're going down the Eastern Market, taking the old potato sacks that they were throwing away. We'd take them home and wash them. And then she would show them up and make bags. And then it turned into a, a business. And uh, the Detroit Free Press came and did an article on uh, me and her. Uh, put us in a couple of fashion shows. Uh, got with Maurice Malone, started touring. Uh, went to Toronto, got orders from Toronto, London, all over the world for these. They call them crocus sacks. We went to the Toronto um, to their uh, little uh, Caribbean, Caribana Fest. And so at during that time, I was learning about um, how to put uh, things that you can use and make them into a fashion, which basically what as a people we've done throughout history, you know, we use things like on the plantation to make our job easier, you know? So I was walking home one day and I was carrying my books and I had my jacket on and it was hot and I was tired of carrying the damn books. So I took my jacket off and I tied the bottom of the jacket up where you, you know, where you actually, you know, what the last, but you know, where you actually your ass and your body come out up. I tied mm-hmm. that up and then I took it and, buttoned it up like you know like it was a person in it and then I dropped all of my books in the little you know area you know where we would you know normally have it on then I took the sleeves strapped them around my shoulder and was walking home with it you know and I just had a I think the creator because I just had a pith me like man I just made my jacket into a backpack and this was during our time I think during the time when People, I have been getting this list uh, called the Black Inventors List. So that inspired me a whole lot when I seen this list of all inventions blacks had made from the whole, the uh, washing machine, the, the lawnmower. Yeah, I mean, I I, had, I got the list now, yeah. Kari, and it's, you know how I get yeah, yellow and like wet. everything. Yeah, I mean everything, the toothbrush. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. So I I feel as though I was part of that, that legacy. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this is this is why we make stuff because we need it. We make it, we make it for survival. So I've been having the idea of wanting to make a jacket that turns into a backpack for like maybe 15 to 20 years. And I, I tried it. I got help from um, this guy named Z who makes clothing in Detroit. He's very known for starting uh, the first black uh, clothing store downtown Detroit, which was called, I think it was called Zoom and another name. He actually, I think, had a, a hand in uh, Spectacles getting started. I think that was his first spot, spot which is Zayna's store downtown. And so um, I got it made in Chinatown. And it was a nice art item, and I uh, took it to Maurice, Maurice Malone Designs. He was a, a designer here, and he was telling me, yeah, we have to learn how to be quicker, how I have to be able to transform into that, you know, real quick when people want to display it. So, you know, he said, you got some things to work out. So literally, you know, it was put down. It was put to the side, 
you know, and I was, you know, getting into my MCing, you know, working with some uh, rap artists in Detroit, working with some music, working with some good, um, de- um, good producers, you know, making rap albums, you know, writing lyrics, and 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 actually letting my my free, letting my freestyle grow, just becoming a good MC. And after a while, you know, those things became where I seen Detroit as a place where we we're overlooked for a lot of things, overlooked for talent, overlooked for you know, maybe they just, you know, didn't like Detroit. Maybe Motown made made the world so envious that the whole world turned against us as to trying to compete against us. So they started stepping on us music-wise, fashion-wise. It was mm-hmm. happening in so many ways. So I just put it to a side. And uh, what's, what's, what's blessing about it is, Kari, I was at work where I work at Fort Phil, and I met this guy named Joe Ferris, uh, who actually was on Project Runway in Detroit. Mm-hmm. We're just talking, we're talking. And I tell him what I was saying. He's like, yuck, man. He's like, look, I can make that. And I'm looking at him like, you can make what I got on in my head because I don't have a prototype no more. So I gave him the idea. We put it together. He came back and Kai, he brought the most dynamic invention I've ever seen. Something that the astronauts would use. Something that uh, armies would use. Something that the dopest hip-hop kid <laughs> would have if he went out. Some of the athletes would wear. So I, right now I have a jackpack. It's called a jackpack. You know, you can go to thejackpack.com and look at it. It's a jacket that transforms into a backpack and then it transforms back into a jacket where you can have the backpack in a little area where you know you won't even see where it's a backpack at. Mm-hmm. And when when it's a backpack, you can't tell that's a jacket involved in, in um, inner linings of the um the backpack. So wow. we're trying to get that um, produced in Detroit. Um, I'm working with a couple of people. Um, it's a young lady I want you to meet. She has a store called Backstitch in Highland Park. We may be having her involved with it. we working on getting some state funds um, to make it in Detroit to have uh, young kids learn how to actually put it together. We're going to have Joe Ferris actually come out and show kids how to put it together because it's very um, technical to make. But we're going to let them get certified and, and being a seamstress. We're going to give them a certification, something they could use for a job in the future, um, give them an opportunity to get involved in the fashion industry if that's where they want to go. But mostly we're trying to get them a source of employment. So we're going to make them in Detroit, uh, make sure that we um, get jobs for people um, in Detroit, um, young people. So this was part of what I call social entrepreneurship, um, yeah. where I work with um my master's in social work and trying to use this to um, have a social impact and use an actual product to help my, my, my community and my city. So that's where I'm at now. And it's, it's, all, it's all centered around what we just talked about from dance to music to the city of Detroit to culture. It's all part of me and part of what, you know, keep my heart pulsing, you know, keep my, keep my pulse going Detroit. So That's what's up. Yeah, that's what's up. I'm gonna definitely bring you back, as I already hear Piper downstairs, and she about to come in here and do her thing. <laughs> um, on the network, make sure you listen to Piper Carter, another homie of yours yes, as well. Yes, yes, uh, I love Piper. Chance, uh, if you're listening to this, but Ishmael's my homie. I'm bringing him back. I'm gonna ask him more of the classic questions, but I definitely, definitely gotta ask this classic question as far as like the Detroit dance scene. What overall? is your favorite Detroit dance club in your experience of being a person on the flow? Hmm. So, I mean, you can go back a long time. You can go back to the network, Grand Quarters. Mm, I'm going to go back further than that. Yeah, I was going to say. 
I'm going to say it was called. The Pontra Train, people say that. That was a spot people used to hit. It was actually uh, Latin Quarter. Latin Quarters. Which is no longer there. Mm-hmm. But it used to be where um, some of the best dancers and some of the best dressed people go. I think you, if you look it up, it was a place where the actual dance called The Freak was made in Detroit and banned in Detroit. Wow. You didn't know that? Mm-mm. It, it was a song came out called Aw, Freak Out. Yeah. So the, Detroit, the, the, we got our own way of dancing. Uh, we started doing a dance where you got kind of close to a woman and you pumped in and out back and forth. And um, mm-hmm. it, it, it became a big dance here until a guy shot another dude for dancing with his girl like that. Yeah, that and you can find, you can look it up. That's been happening p- across. Uh, <laughs> 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 that's been happening culturally for forever. It was yeah, like, but you was can, throwing stones. It's yeah. Like, what is you doing? Yeah, you can look at the paper and see that we made up a dance called a freak. It was actually banned. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that club Latin Quarter was where it was known to get his, you know, get the rocks off of it because it was really, you know, a hot popping club. That to me, that was like uh, me going to da- the, where Dance Fever was filmed at, you know, in New York. How you went in, and had the lights, mm-hmm. the Latin Quarter. All and, right, now, now let me ask you this: as, as hip hop, because before hip hop was completely built in dance culture, even the greatest MCs, like like to me, one of my favorite is Kane. Came dancing his ass. Ooh, off. that boy is bad. You know, even Heavy D, big <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude yeah, yeah, dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. um, but uh, what do you think of hip hop culture now? Sort of embracing more dance, but like for a long time, hip hop culture almost like no dance. My generation was like, we ain't dancing. Yeah, it, it was sad because if you want to pay for a performance, uh, you want to get the same feeling that you get when you see a basketball player dunking. Or a football player juking somebody. And if you're just standing there holding your nuts, excuse me, and just talking shit, you know, that's not a show. And, you know, after a while it burns out. That's why I'm glad where, where I see hip-hop going now. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched the Grammys. I don't know what dude that was that had the blonde wig on or whatever. Mm-hmm. And boys were killing it. You know, Usher was killing it. People are realizing now you have to perform. We need to be perform. We, we need to have entertainment because we go through a lot in life. So we don't want to just pay our money to hear somebody talk the same shit we can hear on the corner cussing and talking shit. That's cool, but mm-hmm. that's not performing. That's not entertainment. So I think it's going in a great direction. I think a lot of groups, like a lot of people, like in my opinion, like um, this one guy, um, Masago. Mm-hmm. You know, groups like the guys who are making music, playing instruments, and talking about hip hop in a way where. We got to do better. You know, we got to make it a music form that won't be laughed at when they do history, when they talk about history of music. You mm-hmm. know, when they talk about the history of music now, they could go back and laugh at some of the stuff, you know, make jokes about us, make us look like monkeys or clowns. No disrespect, but I'm just saying that's something that is not our integrity and our heritage it's, of music. We made music. There's definitely some coonery in, in, oh, in, my man, fa- on. in one of my favorite art forms of hip hop. <laughs> definitely some coonery. Yeah, we, 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 can't, we can't go out like that because that's. A very important, very important part of our history is music and culture and dance and art. And if we don't let it become the best and sort of like be leaders and pioneers, hip hop is a pioneer. It was a pioneer music, but it started being, you know, a, you know, a big fugazi, crazy, you know, all type of stuff where it lost all that integrity. Be a pioneer music. Now it's going back. I see, you know, I, I I like what I see now with you know a lot of artists. You know, I have to dig and find them more. My daughter have to like, you know call me and tell me about these guys but 
you know, she knows that uh, I love my hip hop culture and she told me not to become an old angry man about mm -hmm. some of the stuff. And I listened to her. I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a chance. But in reality, she knows that, you know, this hip, I, I take it, I own, I take hip hop culture as mine. So mm -hmm. I'm going to get personal with it. If, if you're disrespecting it or if you're going to make it something that when they put it in the history books, like it was a joke, it wasn't a joke. You know, it was some very creative and powerful, you know, Im impressions. All right. You know. Now, last, very last question for real, for real now. Guilty pleasure question. All right. <clears throat> when you were in your heyday popping and locking, you also were going up against it. And it's a lot more history I see as people talk more about Detroit culture and everything. The Jitten guys. Were the Jitten guys the popping and locking guys? Nope. And were the popping and locking guys out dancing the jitters back then? Um. The jitterbuggers. The, the, the jitterbugger. The jitters actually were guys who could not, I would say, uh, cope with the whole using every part of your body to dance type of guys. Who, in my in my in my opinion, they were like um, disgruntled dancers. Disgruntled dancers. Because what we start noticing is with our footwork. Mm -hmm. On top of the up, what we call we call uh, footwork, and we call um, up top, mm -hmm. top rock. You got the whole you got the whole spectrum. You know what I mean? And so, cats who really can do up rock, they would limit themselves to do all the footwork, and that couldn't hold the crowd. That couldn't hold the audience enough. So mm -hmm. I watched it kind of develop because then a, a whole bunch of people who couldn't dance start liking the guys who did that because they could they could relate to that more. Like, oh yeah, you doing all that wave and popping like nigga, we bought these feet, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but in re but in reality, <laughs> you know, I was about the feet and the rock. Like, bro, I'm jitting, I'm jit, I'm jitting and pop locking up here while you just doing one thing. So it kind of was like I seen it going down then. Like jitting became where um, it it became like a almost like a um, uh, 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 aggressive, like uh, sort of like a a, um, a tribal stump to be recognized, mm -hmm. and it became really like um, machismo type bath before when it was the, mm -hmm. the real jitters. You you have to get at these cats' way because most of them was cats who would shoot you rather rather the club because mm -hmm. they came in there with certain type of shoes on that you wanted to look at because they were jitting in those shoes. Mm -hmm. You know, what I mean, if they had on the BKs or whatever they had on. That you know, so it was part of the. I part. I call it part of the hip hop drug culture in a way, mm. because that's what it just was. They were, they were doing that dance like they'll take over the floor. So if I started dancing doing then, I'll probably get my ass kicked, you mm. know. And actually, the girls then were now turning towards these dudes because they know these niggas had pockets full of money. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? My dancing ass wasn't gonna be able to buy him a drink. What about the dude just doing the Arrow Flynn that had a pocket full of money? He had a pocket full of money. They go to him too. Or the BK. You know, then that's what that all those that's the whole culture. The Earl Flynn and the Jit was that they go hand in hand. So I didn't put them in the art culture. But I give strings credit and other people in Detroit uh who took it and made it where now people look at it and say it was a, a actual jazz form and now I can see that when I watch strings and I watch the people tell me about the East Side guys that did it mm -hmm. and I give it credit now because now I see how they actually choreographed their movements to mm -hmm. the music. So, you know, it's still to me uh a little bit behind uh the pop locking and the, the whole break. Whole yeah, the full dancing thing. But again, you know, everything has its transition and changes. So you gotta go with it. But 
I mean, that is Detroit, though. That is that is all Detroit. Jit I is, like that. You said a tribal stomp. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we're going to get you back. Thank you so much, sir. You're welcome, my man. I love it, man. You know what I'm saying? We kick about Detroit and my history, man, in Detroit, man. I love it. Love Peace. It. Yes. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.